And so much more. If you're unable to hear this entire study, keep in mind all of our broadcasts are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat with today's study. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to today's challenges. Well, we've been going through our series on questions about salvation, answering some of the most frequently asked. And most difficult questions people ask me regarding salvation. Well, is baptism required for salvation? How were Old Testament saints saved since they had not received revelation of Jesus' death and resurrection? These are some of the questions we'll be answering today in our series on questions about salvation. Well, let's take a look at our first question today Is water baptism required for salvation? Now, there are some groups that do teach indeed. Water baptism is required for salvation. And there are some cult groups that teach water baptism in their church is required for salvation. For example, a group that I did、uh, a lot of research on was a cult group called the International Church of Christ. Now, this is not part of the United Church of Christ. They were actually kicked out of the mainline denomination Church of Christ, started what became a cult sect, but retained the name Church of Christ and became known as the International Church of Christ. Well, they teach that water baptism in their church, because they're the only true church that teaches the true gospel, that water baptism in their church is required for salvation. Now, in order to qualify to receive water baptism, one must prove themselves as a worthy disciple. Well, how does one prove themselves a worthy disciple? Well, they have to meet all the stringent requirements that the church requires showing up to Bible study every night, confessing your sins nightly to a discipler, attending all the Bible studies and the events, tithing. And when, when you prove yourself to be a worthy disciple, then you're deemed worthy to receive water baptism. And until you You receive water baptism, you are not part of the kingdom of God. Once you are water baptized in their church, you are a disciple and then part of the kingdom of God. And that becomes a faith and works kind of gospel. That's why that particular organization would be under the cults camp because they hold to a very different, a works oriented kind of gospel. Well, is water baptism required for salvation? There's a lot of confusion in this area. When it comes to salvation in Christ, what is required to be saved? Well, if you read the Gospel of John, the word used there is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should have everlasting life. If you read the epistles by Paul, the word Paul most uses is the word there, faith. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, the Greek word for believe is pistuo. The Greek word for faith is pistis. 
They have the same root, so they're synonyms. And the Greek definition for these words means to trust or to place one's trust in. Now, the other word that is often used in the book of Acts is repentance. And the Greek word there for repentance is metanoia, which means to change one's mind. Now, these particular verbs here relate to the heart and the mind. These are internal actions where one comes to believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and then commits their will to the gospel and following Jesus Christ. Notice there's no reference to water baptism here. Jesus stated that one must believe in him. Paul states that one must have faith in Christ. So throughout the New Testament, one is to repent and believe or to have faith place one's trust in Jesus Christ, and that is what is required for salvation. So water baptism is not defined as faith or part of belief or repentance. Well, what is one to believe? What is the content in which we are to believe? Well, that is the gospel message. Well, what is the gospel message? Well, it's clearly stated to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 states this, Now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So here Paul is going to explain to us the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the content which one must believe in order to be saved. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So Paul here states for us the content of the gospel. It's the death, deity, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice there's no mention of water baptism there as part of the gospel message. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. That would be strange for Paul to say that I thank God I baptized none of you if baptism was required for salvation. Then later in verse 17, he goes on to state, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So you see there, water baptism is separate from the gospel message. Baptism is not part of the salvation message then, but part of the discipleship message, what one does after they come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So baptism is not faith, it's not repentance, it's not belief, and it's not part of the gospel message. Therefore, from the teaching of Scripture, we can conclude that what is required for salvation is faith or belief in Jesus Christ alone. That alone brings salvation. Water baptism is part of the discipleship message. So the salvation message includes the gospel of Jesus Christ, the deity, death, and resurrection of Christ, and placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the saving work of Christ on the cross. That is what is required for salvation. Water baptism is not part of the salvation message. Now, one of the problem passages is Acts 2.38. When Peter gives the salvation message there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it states, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, proponents who say water baptism is required for salvation here state that according to this verse, Peter is saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, repent and be water baptized, and then your sins shall be forgiven, which is what is required for salvation. So until you repent and are water baptized, which is required for salvation, then you shall receive the forgiveness of your sins. And that how that that is how that verse is interpreted here. Well, does this verse indeed then prove that water baptism is necessary for salvation? Well, the key word or the key conjunction in this passage is for, for the forgiveness of your sins. The Greek word there, the preposition there is ice. Ice is a preposition that can indicate causality or result. If the preposition ice here means causality, then it would mean repent and be baptized in order for your sins to be forgiven. But if it's to indicate result, then it would mean because of. Repent and be baptized because of the forgiveness of your sins. Here's an example of the preposition being used to indicate causality. If I say, I'm taking an aspirin for my headache, I'm saying I'm taking an aspirin because of or as a result of my headache. And in Acts 2.38, we can conclude not only as a result of how this preposition is used, but also by looking at all the other scriptures in the context of the New Testament, we can rightfully conclude it is used in a resultant sense. So it could be restated, repent and be baptized because of the remission of your sins. You see, if water baptism were required for salvation, every time Peter or the apostles gave the invitation for salvation, they would have stated, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized, repent and be baptized. However, in the book of Acts, this is the only time those two words are used together, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the only time that they're used together like that. If water baptism were required for salvation, Peter and the other apostles would have said, repent and be baptized every time this salvation message was given, but indeed they do not. For example, if you just go over right to the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 19, the salvation invitation is given, and Peter stated, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. So you see, when the invitation for salvation is given, Peter says, Repent and pray to the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins. He doesn't say, Repent and be baptized, but simply to repent. In Acts 5.31, Peter states, God exalted him, Jesus, to his own right hand as the prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Notice Peter doesn't say repent and baptism and forgiveness of sins. He simply says to give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. In Acts chapter 17.30, Paul states, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, period. So you see, throughout the book of Acts, that phrase, repent and be baptized, is not repeated again. If water baptism were required for salvation, it would have been repeated every time the invitation to salvation was given. But it's not. It's just mentioned that one time together in Acts 2.38. So we can conclude it is used to indicate causality, repent, because of 
the forgiveness of your sins that you have in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter means there when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And that is consistent with the salvation message given by Jesus and the apostles. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. When does one have eternal life? When they believe the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say believes and is baptized. Simply says believe. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul does not say who believes and is baptized. He says who believes. So faith or belief in Christ alone is what is required for salvation. Water baptism is not required for salvation. Now, having said that, I'm not diminishing the value of water baptism. It is a commandment given by Jesus to those who have come to salvation in Christ to be baptized as a result of coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So baptism is an important part of the discipleship process not the salvation process in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. So water baptism is not required for salvation, but it is a commandment for the disciples of Jesus Christ, those who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Baptism, then, is not faith. It's not belief or repentance. That's what's required for salvation. Baptism is not part of the gospel message. What, then, is baptism? Well, baptism is a good work. It's a good work that is done as a result of one's salvation. To say that water baptism is required for salvation, you are thus adding good works to the gospel message, and thus you are perverting or twisting the gospel message. Salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what the New Testament teaches, to say that Water baptism is required, then you have a new message, you have a perverted gospel message saying faith and works is required for salvation. And that would be a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, another problem passage is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, which states this For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Christ. So those who advocate water baptism is required for salvation point to this verse and say, you see in chapter 3, verse 21, it says, baptism, which corresponds to this, the salvation of Noah, now saves you. Was this verse teaching that water baptism is required for salvation? Well, Peter is drawing a parallel here between the salvation of Noah and water baptism. Well, how was Noah saved? Was Noah saved because in the ark he passed through the waters? No, Noah was saved 120 years before the flood came. Noah was saved because he believed God's word. And placing his faith in God and his word 120 years before, he began to build the ark. And while he was building the ark, he was preaching to the people to repent and turn to God, and they would not. 
So only he and his family were saved. But Noah was saved 120 years before the waters came. And Peter says in a direct parallel, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you. In the same way Noah was saved. Well, Noah was saved by faith before he went through the waters of the flood, trusting in God's promise and God's word. And in the same way, a believer comes to faith in Jesus Christ and the believer then is saved, stand, is in right standing with God. And after that, the believer goes through the waters of baptism. Just as Noah was saved 120 years before the floods came and then went through the water, so a believer is saved before they go through the waters of baptism. So this verse doesn't build a case that water baptism is required for salvation. Now, related to the question of water baptism and salvation is the question of the mode of baptism. How are we to be baptized? Are we to be fully immersed underwater, or is it by sprinkling? And that is the debate held by Christians of different denominations. Some denominations practice full immersion, and some practice sprinkling. Well, is one right or is one wrong? Well, let's remember what I just stated, that water baptism is not required for salvation. It is a commandment given to believers in Christ. It is part of the discipleship message. So how or the mode of baptism is a secondary issue. It's a great issue to discuss, but it should not divide us as believers in Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, this issue has divided many in the body of Christ. I was in the country of Uganda where this is quite a heated debate. And I remember teaching at a pastor's conference and the question came up, how should we baptize, full immersion or sprinkling? And I first explained the evidences or the support for full immersion baptism. And when I was done explaining the reasons for full immersion baptism, I got a thunderous, thunderous applause from the pastors there, and I was surprised. I had never seen people so excited on how you baptized. And then I explained, here's why people sprinkle, and I gave biblical support for sprinkling. And then I heard a thunderous applause from the other side. And then I stated, well, baptism is not required for salvation, so how you baptize is secondary. Don't let that divide you as believers in Jesus Christ. Well, I didn't realize that this is a serious debate in that country and that they literally go to war over this issue. And this issue of how you baptize, sprinkling or full immersion, has divided the church there. And how unfortunate I thought that this secondary issue would divide the church. They are battling Islam and other radical groups out there that are persecuting the church. And here, our brothers in Christ are divided on how you baptize, whether full immersion or sprinkling. And I tried to get that message across. I didn't realize what a big issue it was. After I had left, they debated that issue again heatedly for another two hours with the next speaker who followed me, unfortunately. But this is a secondary issue, and we should not allow it to divide us as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you the case for both sides. First, the case for full immersion baptism. Now, the Greek word for baptize, baptizo, means to immerse, to submerge, for a religious purpose, to overwhelm or saturate. So the Greek definition of the word seems to imply full immersion, baptism. Also, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 7, speaks of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So immersion baptism seems to best represent 
the Christian's spiritual union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Also in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, it states that after Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. In Acts 8.38, when Philip presents the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, as they're riding along in his chariot, they see a body of water. And the eunuch says, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized now? And the text says, they both went down into the water. Also, when you study early church history, the early Christians in the first several centuries baptized by full immersion. When that was not possible, they used the method of sprinkling when full immersion was not possible. But from what we see in the early church, full immersion baptism was the mode of baptism used by the early church. So that is the case for full immersion baptism there. Now, we can build a biblical case for sprinkling. Those who sprinkle in baptism use these passages to support their case. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. This verse reads, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. Peter used the imagery of the priests in the Old Testament sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the altar, cleansing one from sin. And the imagery is used here of baptism and the cleansing from sin. Again, that imagery is used in Hebrews chapter 9, where the writer of Hebrews states, Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience, since they relate only to food, drink, and various washings, regulations for the body, imposed until the time of Reformation. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Once again, the imagery of the priests sprinkling blood on the altar is used here. And the sprinkling used of the blood is carried over here and used in baptism. So those are some of the verses used to support the case for sprinkling when it comes to baptism. Well, I believe the biblical case is stronger for full immersion baptism. But once again, remember, this is a non-essential. It is a great issue to be discussed, but I hope it does not separate believers in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, it has in many cases. Remember, as believers in Christ, we want to be united on the essentials. And when it comes to non-essentials, hopefully that should not divide us in the body of Christ, but we should be able to lovingly and graciously discuss it with one another and not allow non-essential issues to divide us in the body of Christ. So although I believe the case for full immersion baptism is stronger in the New Testament, in situations where I'm not able to fully immerse someone, for example, my father, just a few days before he died, came to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but he was bedridden, hooked up to a life support machine there in the hospital. We weren't going to take him off life support and fully immerse him there in the hospital. And so for his baptism, he was sprinkled because it was not possible for full immersion baptism. So how we baptize, the mode in which we baptize, is not essential for salvation. And once again, remember, water baptism is not required for salvation. It is not synonymous with belief, faith, or repentance. It is not part of the gospel message. It is part of the discipleship message. 
It is commanded to believers in Christ. After one is saved, one is to be baptized and identify with the body of Christ as a public witness. So the mode in how we baptize is not essential. It is a non-essential, and let's not allow this non-essential to separate us as believers in Jesus Christ. Hope that I was able to address several of the key questions when it comes to water baptism and salvation. When we're together again here on Evidence and Answers, I'll answer some more of the most popular and some of the toughest questions regarding our salvation in Jesus Christ. Look forward to seeing you again here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you find this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.